you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter twenty-nine, we'll spend a good bit of time in Second Chronicles. Uh, <clears throat> I want to thank Blake for reading out of Second Kings. That wasn't a mistake. I wanted to ring, read some details from Second Kings, but uh, focus on Second uh, Chronicles uh, to look at Hezekiah's life. Um, I think the account in 2 Kings 20 is it's a moderately well-known account. Um, Hezekiah was 37 or 38 when he was told he was going to die. So he was pretty young. And uh, we saw his response, right? Um, weeping, turning to the wall and praying and trying to bring to God's remembrance all the things he had done uh, and ask for mercy. And then, of course, before Isaiah is even out of the center, central courtyard, right? God says, Isaiah, turn back around. Go back. Tell him. He's got 15 more years. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit, um, but I wanted to have that kind of in our, in our mind, those details of that encounter as we go through Hezekiah's uh, life. We're not going to read a whole lot of verses because there's a lot of text about Hezekiah's rule. But if you look in Second Chronicles 29... Uh, the first four verses were introduced here. Uh, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. And from there on, he's giving them directions and instructions about how to clean up the temple, reinstitute worship, um, get rid of all of the idols and the altars and everything else that's in the house of the Lord at that time. He's different than other kings that had preceded him for centuries. And what makes him different was that phrase in ver at the end of verse 2, according to all that his father David had done. Really, that's kind of the commentary, the opposite commentary on the other kings. This king was not like David at all. Or this king was good, but he wasn't like David. He wasn't as good as David. He didn't give his heart fully to the Lord like David did. We run into Hezekiah here, and that's different. He did, according to all that his father David had done. Um, he's the first one really in the mold of David since David can make an argument that Solomon in his early days was, right? Um, but Hezekiah is the first one that we read that statement about. He's like David. That's a big deal. I mean, it would be a big deal for the Jews to say, hey, he reminds us of David. But this is God saying, he reminds me of David. Right? And we know that God said David was a man after his own heart. So this is encouraging, right? And, you know, we, we, we'll look at some details here. Hezekiah lived up to that. Um, cleans out the temple. He restores worship in chapter 30. We won't read much in chapter 30. But he, he, he calls a Passover. He says, we, we need to celebrate the Passover. And they couldn't do it in the first month because, as we just read, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, meaning not the first month necessarily of his reign, but the first month of the year, which is when you would celebrate the Passover, they're cleaning out the temple. They're getting stuff ready. And there was provision in the law to celebrate it in the second month. 
if you were unclean in the first month, which we read in chapter 30 that almost all the priests and Levites were unclean. They had to purify themselves, they had to get ready. So he celebrated this huge Passover in the second month and he sent messengers, not just throughout Judah, right? He's reigning in Jerusalem over Judah. He sends them into Israel. He sends messengers to all the tribes. Hey, we need to celebrate the Passover. And there were people who made fun of him and scoffed him, scorned. But then there were some who came. And they celebrated the Passover there for seven days. And then it was such a great occasion, they said, you know what, we're going to stay, stay on for seven more days. They stayed there celebrating God's deliverance for seven more days. I do want you to turn over to chapter 31, though. There's a few verses, a couple of verses I want to read there that sort of summarize <clears throat> again for us the kind of king Hezekiah is. Second Chronicles 31, verses 20, 20 and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. I mean, now he's starting to sound like better than David. Um, I mean, David, we, we appreciate David because he went through all these trials, Saul's chasing him around, and he stumbles a little bit with the sword of Goliath, and right, acting like a madman in front of, a, in front of Achish. But he comes out of it, right? He perseveres, and he never, he never touches Saul. He doesn't lay a hand on him. Um, but so far what we're seeing from Hezekiah is like, day one, I know what needs to be done. We need to get, get this done. And God's commentary on this is whatever he put his hand to do, according to the law and the commandment, he did it with all his heart, and he did it right. He did it the right way. In chapter 32, we'll read a couple of verses over there. But in the first part of chapter 32, times aren't so good anymore for Hezekiah. It's not all roses anymore. The same, the same nation that has carried Israel into captivity is now invading Judah. Assyria has come into Judah, and they've sent people to talk to him in Jerusalem to discourage him and say, <clears throat> you're not going to stand. No one has stood. Every single place we've attacked has fallen. They give this list of places. It's interesting they don't even mention Israel. Like that wasn't a trophy. Taking Samaria and the northern kingdom wasn't a trophy. They list all these other places, even though they'd taken. They say, hey, we took all these. They didn't stand. You're not going to stand either. But in that moment, right, he doesn't crumble. He doesn't collapse under the weight. He, he prays. He goes to Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, tell us what we should do. How do we handle this? What's the right thing to do? Ask God what we should do. And he perseveres and they come through it and God delivers them out of that. And then in chapter 32, down in verse 24, summarizing what we read in this account from 2 Kings chapter 20, we read, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. That's what we read. Right? 
But then we have verse 25. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Now I want to pause. This is where I kind of want to take a break. <clears throat> pause in, in the account. And also I, I kind of want to give like a sermonette. This is an aside. It's a, it's a frustration for me. Is Why can't good men finish well? It's just, it annoys me to no end when I read. And I mean, I'm talking biblically, right? I'm not, I'm not saying I judge people around me. But bib- when you look in these accounts, why can't good men, I won't say why can't they. Why don't they? Right? Why don't they finish well? I mean, Solomon is the biggest example for me of uncertainty about how he finished compared to how he began. I have hope, right, because of Ecclesiastes. But you read all these accounts, right? And Hezekiah is on fire. And we didn't talk about all the details, but he's, he's going to go through not just Judah, he's going to go through Israel and, and impact Israel. Right, have a positive impact on them. And the sermonette, or the mini, the mini topic I want to say here is, <clears throat> we have people here in this room who are doing well, like Hezekiah is doing well. Finish well. And I, I don't care what your age is, or what's happened in the past. Because that is past. Decide today that you're going to finish well wherever you're at in the race. That you're actually going to finish the way David started. You're going to finish the way Solomon started. You're going to finish the way Hezekiah started. And I'm saying this to me too, right? We get tripped up just like these guys do, one way or another, right? Something comes and trips us, but we don't have to finish that way. Okay, that was my sermonette. Because I read this verse 25, and it just, it irritates me. That he's so, he's such an influence for good that he has to turn around and be this influence for bad. Don't do that. Don't, don't be a discouragement. Okay, back to, back to this lesson. This, this idea of a return, right? Verse 25, Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit received. We understand that in financial terms. And I think it is a financial statement, right? <clears throat> we invest in something, we expect a return. And that's not wrong. It's not just materialistic. It's just the way things work, right? You plant seed. Well, you, you plant it for a reason. You expect a return, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, whatever, right? Um, We understand it with time, right? If I'm going to invest my time and effort in this project, it's because I expect something good to come from this project to benefit me or benefit others. It's still a return. Otherwise, it's a waste. So really what's being said here is that benefit in verse 25, the benefit that he, he, he received was wasted. Now, I don't want to ignore verse 26. We're going to get to verse 26 because it says he did. 
humble himself later, right? But I want to focus on this idea that <clears throat> God's commentary was, after I gave you those 15 years, I didn't get a return. And that's pretty sad to me. That sounds very sad. Um, I wouldn't want that said about me. I mean, if someone, if a person says it, okay, well, depends on who they are, how much they know about me. But if God says it, that's a different story. Like, you can't argue with it. You can't make excuses if God says, I didn't get a return for that. It's just true. So we understand the idea of investing and getting a return. But what what I want to point out from this verse is that God has the same expectation. And I don't think of it that way a lot of times. He expected a return that he didn't get, didn't show up. Well, that's not just specific to Hezekiah. Right? That's how God is. That's how he operates. When he gives blessings, he expects a return for the benefit received. Well, I mean, how, if he expects that from me, us, people, you know, how, how do you do that? What does he expect? I mean, I can't benefit him, really. I can't add something to him that he lacks. Right? So what was he expecting from Hezekiah? Well, we're given a hint in these verses. If you look in 25 and 26, right? Verse 25 says, Hezekiah gave no return because his heart was proud. Right? And verse 26 says, but Hezekiah humbled himself, right? So we're given some idea of part of what prevents the return, right? Part of what prevents God receiving anything back from us is pride, right? Lack of humility. So I've got to deal with that somehow. I've got to get that out of the way. But what does the return, what does the return look like? For, for some details on that, I want to turn over to the New Testament now. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and we're really, we're just going to stay in that, that passage now for the rest of this lesson. Because I don't want to give a return to God as a, an Israelite king, right? Before Christ has come, which is who Hezekiah is. So I'm not trying to mimic him exactly, his life. I want to give a return to God for Richard, who lives after the Christ has been crucified and risen and ascended. What, is, what does that return look like? So in Colossians chapter 3, I'm just going to read the first two verses. This is Paul writing, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So the blessing, I think, is outlined here, if you've been raised up with Christ. That's the blessing, right, that the return needs to spring from. In Hezekiah's account, right, the blessing was this, this extra 15 years. Gave you 15 years, I didn't get a return. Well, what, what has he given us? Right? If you're a Christian, right? You've obeyed the gospel. 
this is it. You've been raised up with Christ. That's the blessing. Right? The same power that acted on Jesus to bring him out of the tomb was the power that acted when we were raised from the water. Well, where's the return? Right? And, and I think even in these verses, verses 1 and 2, there's a foundation for giving a return, and that is our pursuit. Right? Our, our pursuit in life. Where is it? I mean, where is it really? Because we can all sit here and say, yeah, I'm pursuing heaven. I can verbalize that. But when I get up in the morning, what am I, what am I primarily concerned about first? And I'm not saying like we have to wake up thinking about cherubim and seraphim, and, right? But, where, but what's, what's pushing you in your pursuit? For some people, that's really easy to answer, right? It's like, okay, well, if I sit down and think about it for a little bit, it really is money. I mean, I spend 60 to 80 hours trying to just get more money every week. And I'll, there are things I want to do with that money, and that's just what's driving me. I mean, sometimes it's that easy, right? And people can see it, and they can identify it if, if they're honest with themselves. Or it's, you know, it's prestige or position at work. Right? I want this position and I'm going to sacrifice whatever it takes in life, any other area of life, to get that. Right? Those are kind of easy things if, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves that this really is what drives me. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. Um, and, and, you know, here's an example. Uh, there may not be this obvious earthly pursuit right, that drives your life. You sit down and examine it and say, what's really pushing me forward? Um, but for some people, it may just be like pursuing kind of earthly, like peace and quiet. And so when they sit down and look at their life, they're like, well, I'm not really going after money, and I'm not going after fame, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. So what is my pursuit? Well, what is your relationship with the world? Are you at peace with the world in general? Well, that's a dangerous thing to say. Because the wars or the world is at war with Christians. And it doesn't stop being at war with Christians. So are have you have you sort of said, well, I'm gonna let this part of my my faith slide because it eases this tension I have with this family member or it's going to ease this tension I have at work you know they're very pro fill in the blank something sinful whatever it is and I'm just going to participate because you know what to sit over in the corner is just going to create this really awkward stuff at work and I'm just I don't want to deal with it so if you're honest, right, when, with yourself and you kind of live that way as the foundation, well, then you, your pursuit really is just sort of peace on earth, which Jesus came not to bring, right? I come not to bring peace in the earth but a sword. 
So in these two verses, right, he's saying, seek the things that are above. If Jesus came to this earth to bring a sword, why are you seeking peace on this earth? If, if pursuing money here costs you riches in heaven, why are you pursuing money here? That's not above, that's below, right? In fact, he even he says, seek those things above in verse 2. Keep your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. He says it twice in opposing fashion. Don't put your mind on the things that are here. I mean, that's just kind of how you start giving a return. I mean, if, if your mind is here, God's not going to receive anything back from his blessing on you. I mean, it's already a done deal, right? It's like Barney Fife said, we got to nip it in the bud. Well, you nipped it in the bud, right? You didn't even give it a chance. He said, yeah, I, I want to be a Christian and I want to go to heaven and my pursuit is going to be here on earth. Well, that's over. Done. You know, characteristics don't matter at that point. It doesn't matter if you're compassionate or if you're angry. Or, it has no bearing whatsoever. You've already defined your pursuit. Okay. So let's read, let's read a few more verses here in Colossians 3. <clears throat> well, first I want to ask you this question. Right? Think about this. Do you even know what you're pursuing? I don't mean on the surface. I mean sit down and examine how you live and say, okay, I really am pursuing things above. Or, you know... I've got some side pursuits that do not fit above. I need to get rid of those. So do, do that examination. All right, Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Okay, so the, the second thing I would say other than getting our focus right, our pursuit correct, is in order to give a return for the blessing that we've received, we have to avoid the character of this world. There are some things we just have to avoid, stay away from, get rid of completely. They can't play a role in our life. These things that he's listed are things, this is the character of the world. Again, we understand these things financially. If you put it in financial terms, right? If I say I'm, I'm investing in building this skyscraper and I turn my money over to the project manager and he goes and plants flowers all along the interstate with my money. I don't mean buy the building. I mean, he just says, oh, we're going to use Richard's money and we're going to... Well, Lady Bird Johnson, right? That was her thing, wasn't it? She put wildflowers all along the interstates, right? Well, that's great. 
but I'm investing in a skyscraper. I don't want wildflower. My money's been on wildflowers all along the interstate. Well, that's what this is. Even if we say our pursuit is heaven, right, and we, we say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to work on the things in life that are pursuing things above, but I'm going to do it um, while engaged in sexual immorality just because I want to satisfy my body. Or I, I want to, I'm just going to be an angry person. And you cross me and you're going to know it. And you won't do it again. You know, whatever this, this list is, greed, right? Slander, I'm, I'm going to talk bad about people. Well, what you're doing is you're taking in this investment that's supposed to produce this life and this life focus on heaven, and you're spending it on things that aren't just wasteful of it, actually work against it. Right? Instead of spending my money on like wildflowers or whatever, it would be like the project manager took my money and spent it on dynamite and strapped it to all the posts in the building that I'm trying to build. <laughs> hey, I'm investing in this building. Yeah, watch what happens when, when I light this. <laughs> this is what your investment paid for. And I would, I would be a little confused. Right? You, okay, you had a good start. Now you got nothing. Tell me, how, how, how's this investment work again? Right? We take God's blessing, right? We obey the gospel, and then we live like this. It's exactly the same thing. You're not just doing something different that's sort of parallel to what God wants you to do. You're destroying everything he's trying to build in you. There are things we have to get rid of completely. One stick of dynamite in a building is bad. It's going to condemn the building when it goes off. One of these little things in your life will condemn that building. You cannot harbor malice or anger or impurity or greed and say, well, I've gotten rid of the rest of the stuff. I'm keeping this. can't do it. God will not get a return. Okay, finally, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Okay, so, we've, we receive this blessing if we have our focus right. It, we are actually seeking things that are above. And we're honest with ourselves. And we understand that we can't harbor the characteristic of the world, characteristics, the character, right? We can't keep that in ourselves. This is what we do put on. These are the things we do add. These are the things, this is what that pursuit looks like. 
you look to people around you like a compassionate person. You look to people around you gentle. You look patient. You look kind. If we're seeking and pursuing things above and we've rejected the character of the world, when we begin doing these things, God is receiving a return. The building that he's trying to invest in is actually growing within you. Do you see how counter that idea is with this other idea of like we're, we earn something from God by being compassionate and being kind. I mean, this idea has, I don't know how long it's been in the world, probably from the very beginning, but I can remember it all my life. If you do something good, right, you're tempted to this idea that, hey, God owes me, right? Or if you're teaching someone else to do good, right, you need to get rid of this or, or do this, their response to you is, well, I can't earn God's forgiveness, so it, it's free, so I'm just not going to do anything. D- do you see how this has absolutely nothing to do with value flowing to me because of my actions? Value flows to God because of my actions. He receives the return for the value he bestowed proactively. It was when we were sinners and rebels that he said, I'm going to invest. Jesus is going to die for their sins. And then at least they'll have a choice to give me a return. They'll have the option to give me a return. We don't earn anything by living this way, by being kind and compassionate. We're not earning anything. We're giving him a return for the blessing he sent. It's not flowing this way. It's flowing that way. Okay. So now applying this. All right, there are lots of passages, I believe, we could have turned to in the New Testament to see the same thing, this idea of blessing and what a return to God looks like. Because I think it's, I think he demonstrates it in the life of Hezekiah. He expects it. But it's not enough for us just to understand that picture and say, oh, well, that's a really nice picture and it's, that's good. He expects it, right? We have to live it out. And I don't mean, like... As a group, people need to say, oh, that's a great group of people. I mean, you sitting in your chair, you individually are responsible, giving him a return. You have to live it out. I have to do this myself. Regardless of what you think about me or anyone else thinks about me, good or bad, the question that has to be answered is, am I giving a return to God? I can know that, and he knows that. So this is where it gets personal, right, for you. So if you've been raised with Christ, you must be determined to seek things above. 
if you're not, you won't. Because it's just it's it's not the natural thing to do. And you have to you have to be determined to do it even when the people around you aren't. Um, you have to be determined because the world is gonna appear very appealing at times. It's gonna look really, really good. It's gonna be hard to turn down. Just accept that fact now because if you think it's not, you're gonna fall. If you think the world can't appeal to you, you're gonna fall. The world will appeal to you, and that's not a sin. Turning it down is what you have to do when it appeals to you. And yet you must be determined to seek things above even when it costs you. Like you need to accept that now. Because if you think being a Christian isn't going to cost you, you're going to fall. You will fall. Being a Christian is going to cost you. I, I'll, I'll guarantee that. Now, it's not going to cost you something that's more valuable than salvation. I'm just saying, it's going to cost you. So you need to decide now that you're going to pay that price or you're going to fall. You're going to start pursuing things down here. All right, second, um, when you're presented with the temptation to take on the character of this world, you must consider your body dead to those things. When no one's watching, included. Your body is dead to the world. It's dead to the appeal. Not that it doesn't appeal. But when it appeals, you say, nope. I have put my body to death in regard to that thing. It's dead to that. My body doesn't pursue that anymore. You have to be determined even when you're not as bad as someone else. Well, they're fully given over. I'm just sort of dabbling in this. They really have a problem with it. They're actually addicted to this sin. I can, I can come and go as I please. I really am not given over to it at all. I have control of it. You have to be determined that you're going to refuse to participate in the character of this world, even when it doesn't have total control of you. And you have to be determined to do that even when you're not going to fit in anymore. And everyone else around you, even if they're not given over to it, they're just dabbling and playing with these sins or characteristics of the world. And it feels really awkward. You have to be determined that you're not going to participate in that character. And finally, you must be compassionate kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and loving. Even when the people around you don't deserve it. 
I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you a secret that may not be a secret. No one around you deserves it. You might feel they do sometimes and feel they don't sometimes, but I'm just saying, from an objective standpoint, nobody deserves it. Right? We give it. We offer compassion because that's what God does. We offer kindness. We offer gentleness. And we must. It's not like that's what the super Christians do and that's what the elders do. This is like when you're a Christian, this is just what you do. Right? A car has tires. A Christian is compassionate. Christians are kind. You have to do these things even when you're tired. Be prepared to be tired. So you're going to be tired. It's another weak point, right? If you think you're never going to be tired, that you're always going to have the energy to be this way, you're going to trip. Be prepared now to be tired and say, all right, when I'm tired, I'm still going to be compassionate and kind and gentle. And finally, <clears throat> you must be these things even when your emotions aren't behind it. None of these things are emotions. They're decisions. You can be compassionate when you're angry. You can be kind and gentle when you're angry and when you're sad. Their decisions. So, if you haven't yet, obviously, you have to be raised with Christ. It does not do any good whatsoever to take on any characteristic if you're living apart from Christ. Because those characteristics, as we just said, they don't pay for anything. They're giving God a return for His blessing, his investment. You have to be raised with Christ. That's where it starts. If you have been raised with Christ in baptism, dedicate yourself to giving him a return. Regardless of whether you think you've done a good job of that in the past or not, start today and say, today is going to be a return for him. He's going to get a return. And tomorrow, he's going to get a return. In whatever capacity you can do that, Decide you're going to do that. Because I can't think of a, a more sad statement than what was said about Hezekiah in verse 25. That God said, I didn't get a return from that. I don't want to hear that in eternity. That I didn't get a return from you. <coughs> so, if you need any help or you need to talk with anyone here about things you're struggling with, that are preventing you from doing that, that are keeping you from doing that, this is the group of people to do that with. I mean, that's why we're all here, because we all want to go to heaven. So have that conversation. Say, this is, I'm having a hard time with this, and I know this is costing God some return. We're going to sing a song to help us think about that. Um, 
if you need to speak to someone, speak to someone about it today. Well, let's, let's stand and sing. <laughs>